Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. On the last episode of Macabre London, we learned about how an unusual flood decimated a whole area of the city, how a skyscraper almost turned into a flaming death ray, and how smog robbed 12,000 Londoners of their lives over a five-day period in the 1950s. You may think that there isn't much that can top that, but the metaphorical rain has only just started spitting, so you better put your umbrella up before it starts pouring. Today on Macabre London, we uncover part two of Weird Weather from the Capital. Whenever you're planning a day outside in London, it's always sensible to be suitably dressed for whatever the city's climate might happen to throw at you. By now, all bets are off and weather reports are at best as accurate as a tarot reading given by a drunk fortune teller. One thing that no garment from decathlon can protect you from, however, is the wind. In part one of this episode, we discovered the wind canyons that permeate the financial district with some scary consequences and how the assortment of skyscrapers now towering over the city have to conform to a strict set of guidelines before they're even constructed, so the disturbance to the passing pedestrians is limited. With such a blustery city, the residents have always had to adapt and evolve to best use what their surroundings have provided them with. From as early as the 13th century, and possibly even before then, London's skyline was not bedecked with the skyscrapers we know it for today but an entirely different type of building was dotted upon the landscape. To harness the power of the wind, which blew readily from off the Thames, people began building windmills. Pretty much every London borough has at one point had a windmill as part of its landscape. Unlike today's sleek, modern and inexplicably tall wind turbines which dot the windy fields on the outskirts of London and even out into the Thames estuary, These more homely-looking creations were an essential part of each little village that London was once made up of. 
depending on how windy an area of the city was, determined how many windmills sat upon its landscape. Some areas had well over six windmills, and in Clerkenwell, in Islington alone, 15 windmills have stood upon its soil over the years, with the first one on record popping up in the 1500s. Clerkenwell has been an area over the years which has had a varied past of being well-to-do and also all-out grotty. When the original London Wall stood, Clerkenwell was just outside of its barriers, and therefore its jurisdiction. This made the area in the 1500s a place where one could carry out all sorts of mischievous behaviours and run nefarious businesses away from the prying eyes of the bishops, which oversaw life within the boundaries of the wall. This equally meant this lawless area was more profitable for those running their own evil empires, as they were well aware that they wouldn't have to forfeit any of their takings to them. Think of it like tax dodgers today, but like the opposite of that, and good. Instead of padding the bishop's fat pockets and allowing the church to unfairly skim off the top, profiting from the professions they condemned, they were effectively making areas safer and more enriched, and even better, able to keep the money for themselves. This area saw a boom in its sinful trade over the remainder of the 1500s, and became so famous that it even made it into Shakespeare's play, Henry IV Part II, Electric Boogaloo, where one of the characters brags about his conquests on Turnbull Street, the most infamous brothel-lined street in the area. In 1604, a new river was brought into Clerkenwell. Seemingly working on its independence from the London within the wall which had the Thames, Clerkenwell decided it would build its own river. In order to supply the residents of that side of London with clean and fresh drinking water, a new man-made river was created, which harnessed water from a source in Hertfordshire, bringing it to a circular reservoir, which in turn used a network of wooden mains, which allowed many more people to drink fresh water. This in turn meant that clean water could now be delivered straight into your home, something which was completely revolutionary, and as such, this brought those seeking better standards of living into the area. You may think that gentrification is a relatively modern creation, but in fact, it has been going on in London since at least the 17th century. With the newfangled clean water system, the area of Clerkenwell was now the new place to be, and as such, the sinful dens of iniquity were replaced by much more genteel businesses, such as outdoor tea drinking spots, ten-pin bowling alleys, and hot spring spas, which made use of the naturally abundant iron-rich calibriate waters which occurred in the area. All of these improvements made Clerkenwell the new hotspot in town and attracted celebrities of the day, such as the English Civil War leader and head of state Oliver Cromwell, amongst other notable dignitaries of the day. But what exactly does this have to do with windmills, you might be asking? You may have even forgotten that's where we started off. I promise you that we're making our way back around. With Clerkenwell now growing in population and those upper-class residents attracting more of their rich friends, the area began to expand and the residents all wanted some of that lovely, clean drinking water. The reservoirs were extended and more homes were afforded the clean water which came from pumping stations powered by, say it with me, windmills. I told you we'd get there in the end. These windmills allowed the area of Clerkenwell to be blessed with plenty of fresh water, and everyone lived happily ever after. The end. Of course, it's not the end, because this is an episode of Macabre London, and no one has died yet, so we continue. 
Now fast forward into the 1700s and the beginning of the 1800s, and across the capital, outbreaks of cholera were happening, killing thousands of people at a time. One thing that was noted at the cholera outbreak sites was that they were using water pumps, which had been used by everyone in those areas to wash their clothes, clean their used chamber pots, and to do their washing up, with their water often coming straight from the stinky and highly polluted Thames. Doctors realised that Clerkenwell, with its windmills aplenty and its fancy fresh drinking water, remained cholera-free, and as such became an even more desired area, as if you lived there, you were less likely to die, which is a pretty enticing prospect to any house hunter. Over the years, London has had 298 windmills dotted across its landscape, all of which served an important role in providing for the areas they were built in, from pumping water through to grinding grain. The power of the wind was harnessed via sails attached to the front of the buildings to move the gears inside, which would in turn rotate the stones, which would crush the grains and produce flour. However, these seemingly sweet-looking buildings could turn deadly very quickly. Flour mills, in particular, had a penchant for exploding. Due to flour often being airborne inside the mills, the tendency for hot mechanics and highly flammable powder floating through the air made for many an instant fireball. Given that the majority of these windmills were also made of wood, this meant that quite a few of them burned down. On one particularly windy day in Deptford in 1761, a windmill went rogue and its sails refused to be stopped. People watched on as the mechanism set alight, in turn setting fire to the wildly spinning sails, the flower and the circular walls. Try as they might to put it out, nobody could extinguish the fire, and the building was raised to the ground within the hour. As the Industrial Revolution slowly replaced these wind-powered giants with steam engines, London's windmills were made obsolete. Those that remained were either dismantled or turned into housing, and just a handful of them on the outer zones still remain, now protected by requisite building preservation orders. Londoners have always been plagued by bad weather, and since the invention of chimneys, the wind played a part in regularly causing fatalities by collapsing them, causing those walking through any built-up area to constantly be wary of what might be falling from the sky at any given second. If it wasn't someone emptying a chamber pot from an upper floor, it could be an assault from a tumbling pile of bricks. Luckily, with better building standards and the likelihood of being sued from any falling debris, standards have improved and it's now far less likely to have an errant pile of bricks come tumbling down upon you. When one storm that rattled through the city in 1696 caused church wall to tumble, it revealed beneath it many of the graveyard's long-dead inhabitants' final resting place. Coffins erupted out of the ground, and curious passers-by began to gather, interested to know what various states of decay the residents were in, and short on entertainment, people pried open the lids to take a peek. Not long after the desecration of the dead, a mysterious fog appeared above the Thames. It swelled, growing larger and larger, until it formed into a circle hanging in the air before it ascended into the sky. No one could explain exactly what the strange misty object was, but it was thought that the tampering with the dead brought about an evil presence above the river, 
Another theory was that this was a calling card that the storm had been manifested by the many people practising black magic in London at that time. No one fessed up to creating the strange mist, and as such, the mystery has never been solved. However, I have my theories that this may have been a waterspout created by the storm. But back then, no one knew what the phenomenon was called, so calling it a black magic cloud seems far more obvious. But bad storms weren't the only event which could cause parts of London to tumble. One night, the whole of London seemingly started to crumble for no apparent reason. As people laid in their beds, they were awoken by the sound of bells ringing, but it was the middle of the night and the churches were empty. Not knowing what was happening, people rushed into the streets where they were treated to a cacophony of falling debris, churches crumbling and houses collapsing into rubble in front of their eyes. This was an earthquake. Throughout the Elizabethan period, London would experience three earthquakes, which would see people lose their homes, workplaces and some even lost their lives. Strangely, the earthquakes seem to have a regularity to them, as two of the three happened on Christmas Eve, four years apart, but a strange coincidence nonetheless. At this time, no one knew what an earthquake was, particularly in England, and as such, everyone that felt the tremors for themselves had some kind of theory for what the phenomena was, and those theories mainly pertained to God being angry. Even though these earthquakes had been pretty bad for all involved, it wasn't until 1750 that Londoners would feel the worst one yet. On February the 8th, at around lunchtime, many people were jolted from their afternoon tea when an earthquake began and lasted for around a minute, the epicentre of which was at London Bridge. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Before the earthquake hit, people saw bolts of blue light shooting up from the ground, before the earth began shaking and people began fleeing, thinking they were about to be swallowed whole by the ground. Racking up at 2.6 on the yet-to-be-invented Richter scale, 
This type of earthquake wouldn't be a problem for today's modern buildings, but back in the Regency period, houses were not constructed so sturdily and often poorly maintained. As a result, chimney stacks fell, buildings were damaged, and many people were trapped under fallen rubble, with many suffering injuries. However, this was the first of seven earthquakes which occurred across the whole country, just in one year. When quake number two hit London exactly one month after the first, on the 8th of March, people began to think this was going to become a regular monthly occurrence. This wasn't helped by the fact that many prophets and astrologers had begun spreading the word far and wide that the end was nigh, and that the third quake would be the worst and probably wipe out anything and everything. To avoid the danger of being inside their houses, and thus risking the threat of being crushed under the rubble, many towns popped up in the city's parks on the 7th of April, in readiness for the expected quake on the 8th. The poorer residents had to make do with just being outside, without shelter, crowding together on Hampstead Heath, Clapham Common and Lamb's Conduit Field, a cricket ground in Lambeth. Those who could afford the luxury kitted themselves out for the full glamping experience in the posher and not highwayman-plagued Hyde Park, taking horses, carriages full of their belongings and tents to keep them warm and protected. Women crafted themselves specific dresses which contained layers of fabric to keep themselves warm outside overnight, the historical equivalent of a slanket, and people left London in droves. Others hired boats, sailing out into the middle of the Thames, moored up together, but some decided to walk out of the city altogether and stay in lodgings in less packed areas. However, all lodgings were full and many ended up having to sit out in empty fields all night instead. These pop-up towns hunkered down, awaiting their fate, but as the night turned today, on the 9th of April, God had seemingly decided he'd got over whatever beef he had with London and its residents, deciding not to open up hell after all. Hedging their bets, people stayed camped out for the remainder of the week, and when no further quakes came, they retreated back to their houses. Over the remainder of 1750, the quakes spread out across the rest of England, with the largest magnitude reaching 4.7 in the North Sea in August. But other quakes, all above a 4, were felt in Portsmouth, Chester, Dorset and Leicester. Some of these, even though they were a little way away from London, were still felt enough to be a cause for concern, and as such, research was carried out to try and determine exactly what these events were. By now, people were starting to understand that the quakes were caused by something other than an angry deity, and research began on discovering what these earth-shuddering events were, and how they could best be understood. Some research had been carried out in China as far back as 132 AD, when the first seismoscope was developed, but it wasn't until the quakes of 1750 that research stepped up a notch. Fast forward five years, and Lisbon in Portugal suffered a 9.5 magnitude earthquake which lasted for six minutes, subsequently followed by a tsunami which flooded the city, decimating anything that wasn't already taken out by the tremors. Five metre wide holes opened up in the streets, fires erupted which engulfed parts of the city, causing a firestorm, and over 50,000 people died as a result. In order to understand the devastating event in Lisbon, 
two London-based researchers got to work. John Bevis carried out a survey of the events, the first of its kind, seeking accounts from those who had survived the event, and from this, another researcher, John Mitchell, used those accounts to develop his theory. Mitchell, who up until this point had been busy inventing man-made magnets, developed a theory that the layers of the Earth were moving, causing the lower layers of Earth's rocks to rub together, which was what was causing the earthquakes. As a result of cracking the code to the Earth's core, he was awarded with a position at the Royal Society, where he also developed the idea of black holes existing, even though this wouldn't be fully adopted until many years later, in 1916. Over the subsequent years, London has felt the aftershocks of several close-by earthquakes, but it's never been the epicentre of one since. However, experts think that the city may be well overdue for one. Luckily, London is far enough away from any tectonic plate boundaries to eliminate a quake hitting that could really cause major damage, but it could see a peak magnitude of 5.5, which is enough to cause damage to badly maintained buildings or older structures, which the city is full of. When earthquakes of a 5.5 magnitude and lower have been observed in other countries with a similar makeup to London, people have experienced low-level damage, which could potentially be fatal, such as roof tiles falling, trees collapsing, and buildings shifting. Damage has ranged from broken windows through to cracks in foundations, broken water and gas mains, and disruption to public transport, all of which have caused major ongoing issues requiring lengthy and costly repairs, ranging in the billions. Having taken a look at the most recent earthquakes across the UK, it does seem like the south of England is once again on the move, with two earthquakes, one in Tring and one in Stukeley, in 2020. Both earthquakes measured 3.9 and 3.1 respectively, and both towns are only about an hour and 30 minutes drive away from London, so perhaps 2021 will be another year of earthquakes. I really hope not, but after 2020, I'm not ruling anything out. London may have seen its fair share of bizarre weather over the years, and for many, that may be a reason to stay away from its streets. But for me, there's nothing like a gloomy wander along the embankment, lukewarm overpriced flat white in hand, watching the sporadic bridges reflected in the puddles as the smell of petrichor and illegal hot dog carts fills your nose. Summer wouldn't be complete without a stuffy ride on the tube nuzzled into a stranger's sweaty armpit before being ceremoniously ejected into St James's Park to watch the pelicans trying to eat pigeons whilst you bat wasps away from your overpriced ice cream, settling down on the grass in the dimming light of the day to sip a warm beer whilst you are subjected to an unrequested cover of Wonderwall from a group of Trustafarian students. There's something about the weather in London which makes it a main character in the city's story. Come rain or shine, dry heat or drizzle, it's always there in the background, adding atmosphere to whatever we do. And for that, you can't help but love it. Even if that does mean spending an obscene amount of money on lost brollies every year. for joining me for today's episode. Now you've heard all about London's weather, why not tell me your favourite time of year to visit the city? And if you've never visited, why not let me know your ideal day here? For me, it's definitely a nice warm evening in the park with a beer or headphones in, soundtrack from Amelion, and a walk in the drizzle along the embankment. You can't really beat it. 
If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, then you can do so by signing up to my Patreon, where you'll receive goodies and extra content in return for your kind support. You can give a one-off tip via PayPal or the ACAR supporter link, or if you're not in a position to do that right now, then you can just spread the word and tell your friends. It all means so, so much, and it's so nice to see more and more people appearing on Patreon, as it lets me know you want to have more content from me. Lots of you have been dropping by to say hi and let me know you're enjoying the show recently, and it's so nice of you to take time out of your busy schedules to do that, and I really appreciate it. And it really does help to keep me producing things. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, I'd love it if you could subscribe and switch the bell on so you get notified when I post a new video. And also, if you wouldn't mind giving this video a thumbs up, it really does help, along with leaving a comment, even if that is just an emoji or two, so YouTube can start knowing this is the kind of stuff you want to see more of, and also recommend it to more people. Huge thanks goes to our executive Patreon producers, Barry, Sam and Sarah, and all our other patrons too, a list of names of which are in the show notes of the podcast and the description on the YouTube channel, and I'll put all the links in the show notes of how to check that out if you'd like to. Thank you for joining me for another macabre tale from London's past. I've been Nikki Drews, and I'll see you ghouls next time. TFL, if you're listening, you should really start selling second-hand brollies, you'd make a mint. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.